0: What's up, Wolfpack? I'm Shane, and I'm your host on this little thing that we call the Good Wolf Song. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome, and thank you for tuning in. If this is not your first time listening to the podcast, then thank you, uh, and welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, and hopefully some of these new listeners are here by direct way of your referral. If you've not referred anybody yet, I would ask that you do that. I don't run ads or anything on my podcast because I hate ads on podcasts and I'm not going to do that. All I want is to get some referrals um, and I want to help more people and I can do that only with your support and with your help. So how can you contribute? We'll get this out of the way right quick and then I'll get to some valuable content for you. You can join up with us on social media at Facebook and Instagram. The tag is the same on both of those. It's at Feed the Good Wolf Outfitters and on Twitter it is at ftgw underscore Outfitters. What you can also do: take a screenshot of this podcast and share it on your own social media. Uh, share the thing that you liked, your favorite part of this podcast, and maybe pose some questions to your friends and to your followers on uh, what they think about it, and start a, start a conversation, start a dialogue. That's how we're going to grow this movement. Okay, so today get on to the valuable content for you. Today, I want to talk about bad days. Now, we all have them, right? No matter what we do or no matter how happy we are or we pretend to be in some cases, we still have bad days from time to time. No matter what, you're going to have them. It's part of it. How do you cope with that? What attitude do you have? How do you meet a bad day? And how you do that, is what will determine how you live your life. If you adjust your perspective of what a bad day is, then you can look at it in a whole different way. Okay? And when those days come, you're either approaching them largely as a, uh, in a negative way, or you're approaching them largely in a positive way, and you're learning something from it. And the habits that you make on how you approach these types of days will make a very, very, very vast major difference in the way that your life turns out. So how do we tackle these? What are we going to do about it? The first thing I want you to do is I want you to adjust your vocabulary. And instead of calling a day bad because some things didn't go your way, I want you to start referring to these days as test days. Okay? So the term bad day is not in your vocabulary anymore. It's test day, alright? I'm going to explain that a little bit. When you get asked how your day was by a spouse or your friends or your family or whoever it is, and you say, oh, that was great. Eh, that was a good day. Yeah, it was a little bit rough. Oh, man, it wasn't good. It, it Not a good day. Man, today was a bad day. Instead of that, use the phrase, you know what? Today was a test day. Now, we all probably remember tests from school, how they change the course of the day, sometimes they might even change your entire week, okay, But the difference between those tests and test days now is that you likely aren't prepared for the test day now because they come out of nowhere. The only kind of test that we really have in what I call the real world, anything outside of school is pop quizzes and in 99% of situations, every test you're going to get is going to be a pop quiz. So you don't have that, that lead up, that dread, that it's going to change the course of your day or your week leading up to it, but it might change it as a result of. Okay, That's the difference between school and the real world. In school, you get the lesson, then the test comes. But in life, you get the test, and the lesson comes as a result of that test. It's up to you whether that will be a hard lesson or a welcomed one and how well you learn the first time through because make no mistake that test is coming around again and there will be a second time. It's a pretty good chance that you're gonna be tested on the same exact thing at some point in your life. But how well you react to that situation will determine your pass or fail. So when you find yourself in a test day, what you used to refer to as a bad day, we don't use that terminology anymore because we're changed individuals, we're feeding our good wolves, you need to be very aware of three things. Three things I want you to remember every time you come up on a test day or even on a situation that tests you. Number one, remember, this is a test day and I'm being tried for a reason. Yes, I am being tried for a reason. Not, this is happening to me. Not, I can't believe I'm going through this. It's, I am being tried for a reason. This situation has been sent to me, and whether you believe in God or you don't, uh, if you think the universe sends us things and, and helps us grow, or you believe it's vibrational energy, whatever, that's not necessarily important right here. The point is, Life happens for us, not to us. Everything that happens is for a reason. And if you look at your test days and you, and you have the presence of mind to remember that in the, in the height of your emotion on a test day or a test moment, then you can say to yourself, I will grow from this experience, no matter how small that growth may be, I will learn something and I will get better at something as a result, even if I learn what not to do. And I want you to make no mistake... You need those experiences too, so that when you do mess up, because you will, and you learn what not to do, because sometimes you will, understand that you passed the test. You just did it in a different way. Pass-fail isn't really quite so black and white as it is that we remembered in school, as the way that we've been brought up to believe that pass-fail is, because really there's only one way you can truly fail. And... We get caught up in that pass-fail situation because how we were brought up, how school is arranged. And in some cases that is necessary, and in school it is necessary, and I'm not really dogging that because you're being tested to see um, your, your retention of information, and there has to be some sort of an accountability. You can't just pass everybody um, even if they don't try. There has to, you have to teach people to try and to, and to strive for success. That's another lesson you're being taught in school, and it's hopefully being instilled in you, okay? But in the real world, when you get out and you don't have that accountability anymore and you're not you're not filed from one classroom to another and you're not eating on a certain schedule and you're not going to PE class on a certain schedule and the state's not mandating that you get this curriculum or that, and you go into the real world and you have to figure this out for yourself, and you, you find yourself in daily life, and as you're hopefully attempting to achieve bigger and better things in your life, you have got to understand that there is no fail on a test day. Well, there is, but it's such a small factor. Because, yeah, sure, you can drop the ball. You can fail to accomplish your task or to get the job you were attempting to get or to finish the project in that job or whatever it is. But even if you fail at the test, you don't fail the test. Because you still learn something. Now, listen to that again. Even if you fail at the test, you don't fail the test. You can go through a test situation, and in the course of that situation, you can fail to meet the curriculum of that situation. However, that test, as an overreaching moment in your life, you can't fail that. You can't fail a test because it happened to you. You have that experience. And even if you choose, I refuse to learn anything from this situation, it still happened to you, and you can't deny that. You don't get to deny that. You can, but it doesn't do any good. And if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you would never do that. Life is about learning and overcoming and achieving just a little bit better every single day not about mastering everything on the first try every single time we do it. Why do you think you start in preschool or kindergarten and you move up to a diploma? That diploma is the goal from the time you start school. They're trying to get you to that diploma. But they get you there over a course of 12 or 13 or 14 years. they got to work you up to that point. It's a very long and arduous process. But by... By learning little by little, by overcoming, by achieving, by getting just a little bit better every single day, you get to that point. So the, the first thing you need to do is learn how to how to identify test days and have the presence of mind to say to yourself, in the heat of that moment, this is a test day. Number two, we touched on this just a little bit, but now I'm going to get further into it. You need to detach from your scenario. Now what does that mean? Well. Make sure yourself in a hedge maze okay? and you have a goal of getting to the other side of that hedge maze. you got to get out. They they dropped you in the middle of this thing, uh, they, they put a ladder over the edge and put you in and now you got to get out. The walls are ten foot tall and they're only about three feet wide and you can't see over them and you don't have a pair of hedge trimmers and no, you can't just force your way through the walls, you don't get to cheat, so you have to figure out how to get through this thing. Now, I want you to imagine that there's a deck above the maze where people could, could watch you from up there, but there's nobody up there. You don't get any help. And you're stuck in this maze for three hours. You're in there for three hours. And you get frustrated, and you get fed up, and a couple times you just sit down, and you think, I can't do this anymore, and then, and then you get back up, and you have another go at it. And you keep looking up at that deck, hoping that somebody's going to walk out there and that they can give you a hand. But there's nobody there to help you through it. Not this time. You're on your own. And finally, after you've been in there for, for three and a half, four hours, you just, you've just you had enough, and you're, you're even convinced at this point there isn't even a way out. This is some kind of sick joke. So it's a psychological experiment to find out how long does it take before someone breaks and just shouts, i got to get out of here. So you finally call out, help me help me. Where do I go? Somebody help me. And the people that are administering the test all of a sudden poke their head over the top of the wall. And they say, oh, why didn't you ask? And they put a ladder on the other side and they they let you out. And they say, now, before they let you out, they say, now, one stipulation, we'll let you out and you can go up on the deck and you can look down and you can can plan your route, but then you got to come back in if we help you. You got to come back in. You agreed to do this. All right, fine. Seems fair enough. So you get out, you go up on the deck, and now you can see the whole thing. And you you take your little piece of paper out and you make a map. You say, all right, you get it figured out, okay. You get back in there, and you're out in a matter of two minutes. Easy. Why? Why Why'd you do that? When you were given the opportunity to get up on that deck, why would you do that? Why, Why did you think that would help you? Because you recognize in that moment that that deck will give you a perspective of your situation, that you'll be able to see more than what you can see currently. That because you will no longer be immersed in that maze, in that emotion and in that anxiety, that you'll be able to see the entire thing. You'll be able to plan and map out and, and and figure out, okay, this was my mistake, this is what I can do. And you'll be in a different emotional headspace because of that ability to make those sound decisions. Okay? During our trials and our tests, we have the opportunity to be that spectator. When we're stuck in those mazes, we have that opportunity. And that opportunity is called detachment. It's employed by individuals, and this is a concept, it's not a new concept, it's not something I came up with. This is a concept that's been employed by individuals in the business world, all the way up to very highly trained special operations soldiers in the American military. The threat of becoming completely entranced in your situation, hypnotized by the stressors of your situation, is a challenge of, sensor, of sensory overload. And it can result in very very real uh, stress and fatigue and, and, and problems. But if you have the presence of mind to mentally detach for just a moment and take stock of what's going on and, and adjust it accordingly to the situation you're in, sometimes it's an entirely mental thing, sometimes it is, literally taking a step out of the situation you're in, getting out of the ditch that you're working in, you know, pulling over to the side of the road, stepping out of your vehicle, looking at a map. That's a, that's a foolish analogy these days. We all have GPSs, right? Okay, so getting to the top of a hill where you have GPS signal, uh, cell phone signal, and you can get your GPS to work again. I'll put it that way. How about that? But sometimes you've got to get off the course that you're on, and you've got to detach and say, okay, what do I really need to do here? What's the real problem? And most of the time, and, and you might be saying to yourself, well, that's, that's a great example, except for, you know, I can't just always do that. I can't take a step back. You know, my job, uh, sometimes it's, it's life and limb on the line, and I can't, just be, I can't just be taking five minutes away from my situation. It's not about five minutes. It's about just a moment. And believe me, if Navy SEALs and Marine Raiders can do this and are taught to do this, pretty sure you can do it too, Okay. It just takes self-discipline to be able to implement this, to be able to not take yourself too seriously and say, Okay, I can figure this out. There is a way out of this, and I'm going to figure it out. And you'll find oftentimes when you do that, that most of the time, the real issue isn't even the situation. It's your attitude about it. It's because you let that emotion Albeit, sometimes very rightfully so, you let that emotion cloud your judgment, get in the way of what you're trying to do, and, and mess you up. And that brings me to point number three. When you're in those situations, and you have that clouded judgment, and you have that emotion coming in, and you have all these voices that you're hearing and that you're listening to, and one's saying, this is impossible, the other one's saying, oh, I think I can figure it out, but I just don't know. No, this is impossible. You gotta pick and choose the voices you listen to. That's point number three. Pick and choose the voices you listen to. Now, a lot of us probably aren't very comfortable admitting that we hear voices, okay? And I'm not saying that you hear audible voices, but we've all seen the cartoons, right? There's an angel on one shoulder and there's a devil on the other shoulder, and they're trying to convince Bugs Bunny that he needs to help Sylvester catch Tweety, right? And you're 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 trying to make one decision versus the other, and you have this this uh, caricature of good versus evil on one shoulder or the other, and they're, they're warring in the mind of this cartoon character. And, and what I remember about those situations and about those figures when you had that angel and that devil is that that devil was always pretty insistent. He was always you know, pretty sly and pretty cunning, and he usually had the first word, and he usually probably got the last word in too. And when the angel did step in, that devil would try and take that halo and you know shove it down over his over his arms and kind of hog time with his own halo and there was a little bit of mischief in there and but but the devil was you know he was trying to run the show, right And he was trying to be more insistent. And the angel, most of the time just stayed pretty calm and cool and collected, stayed rational. Another example: take dogs. and maybe this is a you know you can look at this in two different ways. You have the good wolf and the bad wolf, obviously but I want you to look at more domesticated breeds of dogs. So compare something like a Fox Terrier or a Chihuahua with a retired German Shepherd police dog that was on the biggest SWAT team in the United States uh, for three years, okay? You have a a German Shepherd SWAT dog that served with, uh, with Dallas SWAT, right? Which one of those two animals, which one of those two dogs, the same animal, different breed, which one's going to be more vocal? Which one, if you, had, if you had them in your yard, is going to be running around? Which one's going to be more calm and collected, typically? Which one would you take note of if it was the middle of the night and that dog barked one time? Which one would you take more note of? Probably the German Shepherd, right? Why is that? Well, we all have voices in our lives that we that we are hearing, and, and they're always attempting to sway us. From time to time, it's for better or for worse. And usually the voice of reason is quieter and more collected. You know, I've been involved in, in church for a decade or more now, and I know this as, you know, a lot of people refer to the voice of God, that voice of reason and truth, as a still, small voice, okay? Because it is not some people have heard it audibly I never have okay but it's it's a mental thing that is just speaking truth into your life when you're in a situation it's that angel on your shoulder or it's that german shepherd that that is calm and collected and that if you listen and if you tune into the right frequency speaks through the noise but you've got to you got to learn how to tune into that so think about sales okay now, what image do you have of a salesperson, uh, a salesman, let's say? Let's say you're in a mall and there's a salesman in the middle of the, uh, the aisle and he's trying to sell a project. What, w- imagine that salesman. Close your eyes if it's safe to do so. And imagine that you're walking through the mall, you round a corner by the food court, and there's a salesman. What's he look like? How's he speak? How's he carry himself? What's his demeanor? a little bit pushy? Is he talking kind of fast? Kind of wiry? Kind of annoying? Kind of high energy? Well, yeah, sure. But why are they like that? Because we know as humans that, and especially in Western culture, we know that we kind of value our, our personal space. We don't really want to be invaded. We'd rather initiate that sale if we're interested, not have somebody come up to us. But why does a salesman do that if they, if they know that? Because salespeople, good salespeople especially, are masters of human psychology. They have studied this a lot. Trust me, they have. Or they wouldn't be as good as they are. Because, So, so then knowing that, why do they still act pushy? Why do they talk fast? Why are they wiry? Why are they so bouncy? Because they're trying to sway you from your current situation. They're trying to get you off of your terms onto their terms, and they're using tactics to knock you off balance so that they can convince you and encourage you to do something they want, which is to buy whatever they're selling. So when you hear the overwhelming voice, it's yapping at you, and it's it's that devil on your shoulder, or it's that little yapping dog, and and you liken it to that. Or it's that annoying salesman and that voice in your mind is, is acting like that little dog or that devil on your shoulder or that salesman. And it's yapping and it's so annoying and it's telling you, you're not worthy. You're not good enough. You can't do this. That, that person's right. That, those people over there, they, they pretend, but they don't really even like you. You're bound to fail. You, you Look at you. You're hopeless. Take stock of that voice. Take stock of it. Recognize it because it's real. It is real. But take stock of it. Detach for just a moment. Take stock of that voice. And then listen. Tune it out. What do you hear? Take stock of that voice that is not trying to overwhelm you. That is the voice you need to listen to. And it's difficult because the other voice has has clouded your emotions and has built your emotions up so high that it's very difficult to put them to the side and to listen to that still, small voice, that calm, collected, confident voice, that German Shepherd that acts calm and collected because that German Shepherd knows what she's capable of. She knows, and she doesn't have to bark at the neighbor dog because the German Shepherd knows if that neighbor dog even tried to step foot in my yard. I'd do to that dog what I've done to all the bad guys. You know. I know who I am. My identity is secure. I, I know what I'm about. And I'm good with that. That little dog has got that little Napoleonic complex. And he thinks that he has got to yap and nip and bite and, and prove himself. That devil on that shoulder is trying to sell you on a lifestyle or sell you on a bad decision to get you off of your comfort zone, to get you off of what you know to be accurate and true and trying to sell you on a situation you don't want to be in. That salesman is trying to part your money from you and sell you what he's got. Listen for the small voice. Listen for that confident voice. Listen for that voice that cuts through the emotion and is giving you real value. Now I want to take you back to those test days, okay? Because we've, we've seen three points, right? Number one, identify this is a test. Number two, detach. Number three, pick and choose the voices that you'll listen to. Think on those, and then let's go back to a test day. Again, if it's safe, close your eyes and imagine this. Go back to one of the classrooms that you've actually sat in in your life that you remember as well as you can. Remember the posters on the wall, the bright colors and the the state propaganda that was put up trying to convince you that reading is fun and and you can a whole new reality awaits in a book, you know whatever. The cheesy stuff that we all saw on posters in the hallways and in the classrooms of school. You're at the desk it's one of those uncomfortable metal desks with a really thin plywood on it and had the, the four lag bolts stuck through the bottom of it. It's not very comfortable. And you're sitting there, and it's test day. And you're taking a test, and the whole class is quiet. and You're trying to adjust and get a little bit more comfortable in that seat, and it's, it's creaking. It's squeaking every time you adjust. It's so annoying. You just want this class to be over with. And you're looking at that page, and you're seeing those questions. And everyone around you is being tested too, to see if they'll make the right choices. Now for just a second, look up from your paper. Look around. Don't be cheating off your neighbor now. Come on. Have some integrity. Look up toward the teacher. What's she doing? Well, she's sitting at her desk. She's writing, probably grading some papers. The teacher is present. She's there. But she's silent. Why? Because this is your test day. The time for learning is over. In school. It's time you prove yourself. The wisdom that imparted all the information that's on that test is right there. In that teacher. Present in the room. But now it's time for you to discover it in yourself. You have to be accountable. You have to prove yourself. You see... In school, we get the lesson, then the test. In life, we get the test, then the lesson. But in both situations, during the test, the teacher's silent. Because this is your test day. It's not time, at this moment, for you to understand, for you, for you to have that imparted to you. You've got to go through that test. Sometimes you're going to do great on it, sometimes you're not. It's part of it. But when you find yourself in a situation where you're being tested, and whatever you're being tested on, whether it's your attitude, or it's a task, on the job, or it's getting a new job, maybe it's a tight financial situation, or whatever it is, remember to detach from your situation. Remind yourself it's a test day, not a bad day. And understand that those warring voices in your mind, in everyone's minds, that stand for what's right and for what's wrong? Listen for the voice that is not trying to make a sale or to get a reaction or to drum up your emotion. Listen for the voice that's trying to keep you in line, even when that's not what you want to hear. That's the voice of the good wolf. You have a choice on test day. Who are you going to throw a bone to? Do you give in and lose it? Do you lay the horn on in that car when someone cuts you off and you're already kind of upset anyway? Or do you just take a breath and let it go because that horn's not really going to do you or anybody else any good. It's just going to further frill up your emotions. So do you lay that horn on or do you take stock of the situation? Do you step back? Do you detach? Do you listen to that good voice? And do you feed that good wolf? One of those choices leads to disappointment, embarrassment, and further stagnation. You don't get anywhere. The other, however, leads to empowerment that comes with embracing the truth, even when that truth is not easy. I suggest you throw a bone to that voice. I suggest you feed. You're good wolf.